and I'm going to share my screen to um, today's set of Makarot. I hope I got today's set of Makarot right. Um, okay, so what we um, we wanted we want to do I did not get today's set of Makarot right. Uh, we want what we want to we want to do today is review uh, review review Rizal Menachemia's um, argument. Um, and what I want to do is, well, last time we read it inside, my ambition today, and I hope that I have it on this source sheet, I do, right, is to, uh, right, is to review um, Rizal Menachemia's uh, argument with uh, comments about where I see it, where I see weaknesses um, in it. And then we're going to do um, some citations from the comments of Rav Levi Kalprin. And uh, then we'll, then we'll move, if we have time, we'll move to some other um, reactions really to the we'll move to the second time that this um, that this that this was asked. Uh, so a reminder: we're 1975 or so thereabouts. This is published in 1975. Rosalman Goldberg has a truva to a question that it seems to me he wrote himself, as opposed to being an actual truva. Though we'll see that that's a dangerous thing to claim about truva because we'll see that a, a a great contemporary figure has made that claim about a different truva. And I think I've disproved it and shown that it was actually a very practical um, question. Okay, question was as follows. Um, if you, ha you have a woman who is dying connected to a ventilator, uh, the ventilator has no hope of doing more than extending her life briefly. Uh, following that, you have, um, you have another, another person is brought into the, um, to the ICU. That person has been injured in a, an automobile accident and they, they, they will die immediately if they're not connected to a ventilator, but the ventilator for them also, or in that case, we're just, let, let's, just, let's treat it as a ventilator for now. We'll see there's a, it's actually a mechanical lung, which might be slightly different. Um, that person also has no hope of living more than, uh, more than briefly, but that person, if they're kept alive, will be able to donate organs to keep somebody else alive for a natural lifespan. The question is, can you move the ventilator from the woman, right, the woman um, who is dying to the man who is dying, right, the woman who is dying of illness to the man who is dying of wounds um, in order to save the third party who is dying but could conceivably be saved uh, for, a much, uh, for, uh, for a much longer um, period. The... Um, I should say there's one thing that Rav Zaman doesn't address in the question, which really would have been fun once you're doing a theoretical question, which is we're going to see that he treats the possibly the woman and definitely the man uh, right, who are injured as, a, as, who's injured as a trefa. He doesn't consider the possibility that the person who needs the organ transplant is a trefa regardless of the possibility of being able to save them because you can't save him by repairing his organ. You can only save him by replacing his organ, and maybe Halacha doesn't think about organ replacement as a relevant category, so we could make the third person a trefa also. Rizal doesn't discuss this, which seems to be a lost opportunity uh, once one is just trying to come up with the coolest possible truva. Uh, okay. Um, I see. The, um, okay. Um, yeah, right. So I, I think that he, right, Rizal Nechem introduces the third party uh, because it's, I think it's, I think it's just, it's a coolness factor uh, because you're not, right, you're not, the person you're saving is not in the room in front of you. And that's going to be, and that I think is, is, is a relevant part of his consideration, although not a major one. Okay. 
Um, so here we're going to go through we're going to go through um, Rav Zalman Nehemiah's um, argument. I just summarized, right? And unless you challenge me as to whether I got it right or not, then we're going to assume that I I am correctly uh, portraying Rav Zalman Nehemiah. And you'll see that right in the small print, that's where uh, I have my comments, and we'll talk about my comments, and then uh, we'll do Rabbi Halperin's comments. So here's the way I understand Rav Zalman Nehemiah's argument. Number one is he quotes a um, he quotes a um, a Rama, right? We saw right we saw we saw the Rama, and the Rama says that um, the Rama says that when you have a Goses, and we're gonna right now we're gonna assume that a Goses is just a generic term, um, and I'm not gonna right does a generic Goses somebody who is dying in some sense imminently. So Rama says that you're allowed to remove a prevention of the person dying. Uh, his specific examples are you can remove a wood chopper or you can remove salt from their tongue, even though you're not allowed, the Ramah agrees that you're not allowed to do something that is considered to be killing the person, uh, right? But you're allowed to, be, what he calls, you're allowed to be Mesir Monea because that's not a masa at all. Okay, that's a given. Um, so now, Razam Nehemia says, but there's no way, even if you frame this as removal of a prevention, what about your obligation to save people? Since there's an obligation, to, right, there's, there's a, a, it's a double negative. Right? There's a prohibition against not saving people. So no matter what you do to make a hasarat muneya, right, not an action of killing, says Rizal Menachemia, that doesn't solve the under, your halachic problem. It doesn't make it okay. You still have to get rid of the prohibition uh, against not saving somebody. Okay, that's stage one, right, is that the Ramah, Prima facie, the Ramah is impossible because he says it's okay and all the convolutions you go through are not going to make it okay to not save the person. Okay. Now he says, he makes a second stage. He says that the run says that an oath to self-starve, I swear I won't touch food for the next 30 days, and this is before the option of, um, of uh, um, what's it called, of intravenous feeding, which might not be eating, and nonetheless, right, and right, nonetheless, might mean that you can stay alive. Um, so the um, right, so the the run the run um, so the run says if I take an oath not if I take an oath not to eat for thirty days, we whip me immediately because I have violated the Torah prohibition against um, against Ritzicha. Okay, so right, that's his that that's his claim, and I point out that that is not necessarily an accurate claim. Um, because the um, what I argue, and this is going to be important throughout, that in halacha there actually are two in the Rambam certainly there are two different prohibitions against killing. There's ritzicha, which comes from the pasuk kiazid ish al reehu the hargove arma, and there's shvichut damim, which comes from the pasuk shofech dama adam the adam the moyu shafech. So the when the, the Ram says that an oath to self-starve violates the prohibition against murder, right, as opposed to shrikhu damim, which I define as uh, as human slaughter. Um, so the Ramah equates those terms, right? Because But the Ran doesn't actually say that violate, that self-starving violates ritzicha. What he actually says is that gram ritzicha, right, killing, killing, via, um, killing via indirection is bloodshedding, not murder. Okay, now the, the reason this matters is that Razam Nehemi's argument, I believe, Dati mistakenly throughout, assumes that there are only two choices: either you violate Ritzicha, or you don't violate, or there's not, or you don't violate anything by killing the person other than a failure to save. Right? He thinks that, that those are the only two categories. 
killing and failure to save. And I'm going to argue throughout that there are three categories. There's murder, there's bloodshedding, and there's failure to save. Okay. Rizalman Nechemia, Rizalman Nechemia, uh, so far, uh, so far um, uh, in his argument, he assumes that if the Ran says that you're violating the Torah, a Torah prohibition, he means the Torah prohibition against murder, even though the, the, the verse the Ran cites is the one about Shvichut Damim, because he conflates the two. Okay, given that assumption, um, Rizalman Nechemia says that the Ran and the Ramah are in contradiction. That so much that so much it seems to be accurate, because he says that the well not quite. But okay, let's let's it, on a certain level it's a contradiction because if we say that something called gram that uh, murder by indirection by self starvation is right is is considered killing. So then for the Ramah also right why should removal of a woodchopper be different than than not giving somebody food? Okay, so the Ramah. Right, the, um, right. So the Ramah says it's okay, but the Ran says it's not okay. Right, the Ran, right, the Ran says it's not only Los Alamos, it's even, um, it's even uh, Ritzicha. So we have to now we have to solve two problems in the Ramah. We have to solve the problem: what happened to the obligation to save people? And secondly, uh, even if you get rid of the obligation to save, what happened to the prohibition against killing? Okay, my point is that there's no re- that the Rizal Nechemi himself says that the uh, that the Ran disagrees. Um, run this, right, that there are other, with other Rishonim, so who says the Ramah has to agree with the Ran? But okay, that's not our Rishon. Okay, so now we have two resolutions for the apparent contradiction between the Ramah and the Ran as to whether um, so whether removal of her prevention is called murder. Okay, and these this, these are the the key formulations in Rav Zalman Nehemia. So uh, right, so you have to pay close attention uh, close attention to um, to these formulations. Okay. So the first one is right, GR, what I call it, Gram Ritzicha. Okay, applies only when the removal or endangerment enables a deadly force or enables a force to become deadly. It does not apply if it instead removes a life saving force. Okay, so now let's go on. The two cases we have to distinguish are in order to resolve the Ran and the Ramah, we have to say that it is a violation of killing to starve yourself and by implication to starve somebody else. But it's not a violation of killing to take away the salt from somebody's tongue, even though the result is that they will die, or to take away a woodchopper. So Razam al argument is that when you take away the woodchopper, you are not enabling a deadly force. All you're doing is removing a life-saving force. Uh, okay, so I remove, I remove salt of the woodchopper. I'm removing the life-saving force, and the person dies of internal, natural, what do you want to call it? The person dies not because something killed them, but simply because they failed to stay alive. Okay. Now the problem with that is, what about uh, what about self-starvation? Right? Isn't self-starvation also an example of just something internally killing them? It's hard to say because they're not. Right? It's, it's obviously not that they just failed to stay alive, uh, right? Because in that case, right, you know, then basically almost everything is going to be that. So this result, Nehemia comes up with a radical claim. He says that even though the run s- sounded like you're saying that it's really a viol- it's really a um, a violation of lotirzach uh, uh, in order in or to to self starve, he didn't mean that. All he meant is that um, is that you fi- is that you violated the prohibition against saving yourself. So in case you don't believe me, I'm actually giving you the Hebrew here. He says, "Ad kam lo chashiv grama, elish al davar 
achar umemito, right? So it's not considered grama, meaning it's, grama here is a is a force for the to make it murder. So it's not considered to have the kind of relationship to murder that makes it murder, um, right? A, a sufficient causal relationship, unless what you did causes something else to kill him. But if you simply remove something that could have saved somebody, for example, you burnt his food or you scattered his uh, his medications. So in that case, the person doesn't die as a result of something you did. But he dies of himself, failure to eat. Okay, so now we have a problem. Hang on a second. I thought we were trying to distinguish the case of removing the woodchopper from the case of self-starvation. So Zalman says, no, actually, I'm not trying to distinguish them. So the really radical claim that Zalman makes is that even self-starvation or for that matter, starving somebody else is not a right. Even I'm not talking about failure to provide them with food. Right, we're talking about if somebody has food and I burn their food. Rizal Nehemiah says that is not a prohibition of killing; it's just a failure to save, because in the end, they're not dying because something killed them; they're dying because they failed to stay alive. And Rizal Nehemiah holds that. In any case, where all where all you've done is um, is prevent a person from staying alive, you haven't caused something to kill them. That is not a violation of killing. Okay, I just point out this is a the Ron quotes the pasuk which talks about killing, albeit shvichut zamim, not life saving. It talks about killing. So this this interpretation of the Ron is an utterly wild interpretation, but it's what he says. That's option one. Okay, so option one of Zalman Chemia is that it's only killing. If right, if, um, even indirect killing, grama killing, it's only killing if your action enables something which kills, and not if it simply re- uh, removes an obstacle to death. Okay, second option he says. Maybe it's only grama tzicha if the thing removed would have naturally kept the person alive, but not when it but not when it merely prevented death. So food keeps the person alive, and loud noises only prevent death. Okay, so, right, so this is a this is a different distinction. It's not as it's not as right, it's, a, it's a distinction between um, natural natu- either between natural and unnatural. That's one way of reading it, but a simpler way of simply reading it is between whether it's something we're doing either right. There's no difference between removing something that causes a death and removing something that keeps a person alive. There's a difference between removing something that keeps the person alive. And removing something that only prevents death. It's an issue of the thing you're removing as opposed to the cause of death. Here's his formulation. And therefore, a person who prevents food is called a Roseach Bigrama. As opposed to the Ramos case, where you're not preventing the Gosses from eating, you're just removing something that is preventing the Nefesh from leaving. Okay, what's the proof of this? It says that the banging the hammer, the woodchopper, right? That's not keeping the person alive. So when I remove the woodchopper, I am not, uh, I am not removing something that keeps the person alive. All it does is prevent death. Death is seen as a, um, as a, as a different 
um, phenomenon than the opposite of staying alive. Right? Some things keep you alive, and some things just fail, just 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 prevent the soul from leaving. Okay, so this resolves the second distinction that it's not it's not the um, it's not whether your action causes something else to kill you. It's a question of whether the thing you're removing is something that actually keeps you alive or rather is just something that prevents death and food is defined as something that actually keeps you alive as opposed to something that merely prevents death. Okay, what's the nafkamina? The nafkamina, right, the practical difference between these approaches is whether removal of a ventilator is considered killing. According to resolution A, removal of a ventilator is not gram ratzicha. Removal of a ventilator just prevents air from saving the patient, just like self-starvation prevents food from, from, uh, right, from, uh, from reaching the patient. And just like scattering someone's food or, or scattering someone's medications or burning their food is, according to Razam Nechemia's first approach, not killing. It's just a failure to save. So too, removing a ventilator is ready, removing a ventilator can't be worse than burning somebody's food or scattering their, uh, or scattering their medications. So according to resolution, resolution A, removing a ventilator is never more than failure to save. However, according to resolution B, that's very different, right? Because again, the parallel between ventilators and feeding remains constant. But in resolution B, um, preventing someone from eating is in fact killing. So preventing someone, right, preventing someone from having food is in fact um, killing. So too, preventing someone from um, having air is, um, is killing, right? So Zalman Nechemi has two resolutions for what he sees as a contradiction between the Ran and the um, to the Ran and the Ramah. And it, the difference between his two resolutions is that in one version, removing a ventilator is never killing. It's only failure to fulfill the obligation to save, or it's a violation of the prohibition against, against failing to save. Um, and according to the second approach, remo- removal of a ventilator is in fact a form of killing. All right, Cooper? Yes. I- I'm not sure if you have, I, I think there, there are two ways of reading B, which you mentioned. And I think, I think what you were saying only applies to one of them, right? If you, if you specifically look at the natural part, right, which you mentioned, often to be, uh, I think then, then this, this distinction may disappear because uh, eating is something which is a natural um, way of keeping somebody alive, but pushing air into their, into their lungs is not a natural way of keeping somebody alive. Absolutely. You could make that distinction. Razam al-Khemi does not. Okay. Okay. That, right, that's right, right. I'm only in Razam al-Khemi now. And his, right, um, right, he, right, he does not, his distinction is, right, is, very, is, is not about modes of providing it, but what in, fact you, what in fact you're providing or preventing. So you're saying that air is, so maybe air is a natural way of keeping alive, even if it's right. not. Air keeps you alive. So when I remove air, I am right. I uh, right. I am removing something that's keeping you alive. I'm not just preventing you from dying. Hmm. Okay. That that right. We could make a distinction as to how you provide air or how you provide food, right? But that's not the distinction he's making. Okay. Right. It's interesting because at some point, um, you know, very various uh, various um, Orthodox medical ethicists take that as a given. Right. That distinction becomes very prominent. But Rizal Nechemi doesn't even mention it. Okay. Okay. Uh, however, right, then he adds it, he adds, he adds, right, so I put out all these definitions are arguable, obviously, right, because we could argue, like, for example, what happens when you die of COVID-19? So you don't actually die of 
um, as right of asphyxiate of asphyxiation, you die of organ failure. So maybe we should say that even in the according to the first position, it's considered it's considered enabling something to kill you because it's enabling the organ failure. Right? It's enabling the right if you if COVID-19 patients died of asphyxiation, so you could take in this framework, okay, so all I've done is I have right, I, I have removed I have removed something um, as opposed to enabling something to kill you. But if you think the disease is killing you, and you don't die of asphyxiation, you die of some other cause of disease. When I remove the ventilator, what I'm doing is not causing you to die for lack of breath. What I'm doing is I'm enabling the disease to kill you through some means other than asphyxiation, right? So then his whole argument disappears. I think if you remove the ventilator, yeah. they die of asphyxiation. The only reason they die of these other things is that you're keeping the body going long enough so that all this other crap happens. Well, I don't know. I, I think none of this is. I think none of this is written in stone yet. Well, that's the but question, right? What, what, what? I'm giving. I, we can certainly imagine a disease where this would happen, right? And I think, right? And and let, let's leave. You're right. For now, we should leave the determination of what the cause of death in COVID in COVID patients is to somebody who has better expertise about that. Well, we're not. You know, that's six months from now. We'll figure that out. Okay, right. That that could also be. Right. And I, I mean, I've read some of this literature, and it seems very complicated. Um, let's imagine that there certainly could be cases where a cause of death other than asphyxiate, uh, some other cause of death precedes asphyxiation. Okay, right, I think that's a, that's a reasonable hypo hypothesis. Okay. Okay. Um, so on the other end, right, as exactly as Ari suggested, right, maybe air keeps the person alive, but artificial breathing really prevents death, right? So, right, so I could, I could, Take Rav Zalman Nechemi's categorizations and reverse the nafkamina. But this is the way he sets up the nafkamina. Right? That if you take approach A, removal, right, removing a removing a ventilator is killing. If you take approach A, removing a ventilator is just failure to save. If you take approach B, removal of a ventilator is killing. Okay. Then he adds in a um, something that it's really really hard to know where he gets for it. He says it's possible that according to both versions. Removal of a ventilator is simple murder if it results in immediate death. Okay, now that doesn't follow from any of his prior definitions. Right? That's just something he puts in. It, we could say that he's, obviously, he's having a certain kind of moral qualm about his, uh, right, about his first interpretation. Or we could say that in his universe, right, what we're talking about here is the prohibition of Ritzicha Via, via grama, and usually one of the criteria for grama in Shabbos, for example, is that it's a grama if there's any kind of delay between the cause and effect. As you're going to say that just like by Shabbos, it's a grama if there's, if there's a delay, but it's not a grama if it's immediate, instantaneous. So here too, by Ritzicha, no matter, no matter, even if you engage in this really fancy formulation and you say that you're only removing an obstacle to death as opposed to enabling a cause of death. That only applies if there's a delay. Since we're in a category that he that he assimilates to the category of grama. Okay, again, that is um, certainly um, certainly arguable, but that's a given in his argument that um, removal of a ventilator immediately does constitute uh, does constitute murder. Okay, so now he says, hang on a sec. If that's really true. Why does Ramah permit removing the woodchop or assault? So he says, oh, he must assume that death will not assume immediately, at least in the assault case. Or woodchopper is willing to say, well, the woodchopper, maybe, maybe there's no way we can look at it because there's no, 
There's no physical causation at all. It's only maybe the only metaphysical causation. So he's going to bracket the woodchopper case. But the salt case, he says, the Ramah must assume that the patient doesn't die immediately when you remove the salt. Okay, now there is no basis in the Ramah for making such a distinction. Um, right Now, we could argue, of course, that the Ramah knew physically that when you remove salt from a, from a dying patient's tongue, they don't die immediately, they die some point later. Or if they die immediately, it's not because of that. We could say that, but there's no, um, there's no basis for saying it. And this is the second time that Razal Menachemia has constructed an Okimta, which has no basis in the text. He said that, um, he, said, he said the Ramah was only talking about, um, like he changed the Ramah to say he's only talking about Echiyah Vatsala, and now he's, cha- now he's changing the Ramah to say it's only if there is um, no immediate, um, no, 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 no immediate death. Okay, those are, those are both stretches, but okay, this is where we are in Razal I said, it seems to me that this is probably moral discomfort rather than conceptualization, but I can defend it on technical grounds. Okay. However, no matter what we do, right, it turns, right, according to both A and B, removal of a ventilator remains a violation of the prohibition against not saving, right? Presumably, removal of a wood chopper, chopper is, is also that, and the salt. So we still have to say, even if, even if we have come up with one explanation according to which removing the wood chopper or the salt is not killing, um, but we don't have any explanation for why you're allowed to do it since it's still a failure to not save. Okay, so now if he wants to get to the point where he can remove the ventilator from the right from the woman, according to version A, he has to explain why right why you're allowed to not save her. According to version B, he has to explain both why you're not allowed to save her and why you're allowed to kill her. Okay. So here's how he's going to here's here's how he's, he's going to start off by saying by dealing with the pro, or we're going to start off by dealing with the prohibition against not saving, which applies according to both version A and B. So his argument is that the obligation to save does not apply when death is better for the patient than life. Okay, the obligation to save is based on doing good for the patient, and there is no such obligation when it is not a benefit for the patient. Okay. And now he has a definition of when death is better than life. Death is better than life whenever the patient is in discomfort and will never regain consciousness. Okay, it might be that the second prong is sufficient that if the patient will never regain consciousness, death is better than life even if there's no discomfort. It might be that there's a level of discomfort which is so huge that it is sufficient to make death better than life even if you are or will regain consciousness. Both of those are possible. But for our purposes, all we right, all, all purposes, all we need the argument is that there is discomfort, and you'll never regain consciousness. That's sufficient, and that is going to right. He's going to assume that the case that in both of the cases he's discussing, the patients are in discomfort and will never regain consciousness, and therefore for both of the patients he's talking about, there is no obligation to save, and therefore. There's no problem as to why the Ramah Where does he get number? Where does he get that assumption in number seven? Where does he get that? That let that de- the Latama does not apply when death is better than life. Yeah. Yeah. So Sarah uh, Sarah Nemzer Cole asked this at the end of last year. Um, he has he has a couple of places he derives it from. Rabbeinu Ben Tradion and the death of Shaul. Uh, I'm not convinced that those are the best proofs, um, but I think that it's it's a very defensible, even compelling proposition. Okay, the the usual like the 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 shorthand package we say 
is Hanani Mishal and Azariah. Right? Hanani Mishal and Azariah are willing to be thrown into the, the thrown into the furnace in order to um, right, in order in order not to worship of Azara. But there's a the Gemara has a has a line in which it says that had they been tortured, they would have. So which we derived that torture is worse than death. But um, I mean, I understand the never again in consciousness, but with respect to discomfort, isn't there a Talmudic principle that um, uh, that or, or a, a sort of a rabbinic principle that uh, uh, that God punishes the righteous in this world so that they don't get punished in the next world, right? So if you suffer torture in this world, maybe it prevents you from uh, maybe it prevents you from uh, further punishment in in Olam Haba. So maybe there is some maybe there is some uh, reason to actually keep the person alive. Yeah, you could say that. You could say that, right? You could say that, you know, and the more, and, 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 how, and ideally the person is not conscious and still suffering, right? So this, right? So this is the equivalent of like the ethical wills where they tell you to throw rocks at the Aron, right? Right? So you, right, this way you, 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 you get the punishment, but you don't feel it. That's the best, best of all possible scenarios. Right? Could have made such an argument. You know, I, I, I'm not going to go there, but I, I can't prevent you from making. Why don't you, Friend? why don't you say, that if the outcome, the goal of the removing the ventilator is to save someone else, yeah, then and you're only over on, on to amod, then saving a life is overrules all the uh, lavim in the Torah, except for ritzicha and shvicha ritzicha and. And so therefore, if you're only over on the lav of Lotamod, then you're allowed to do it to save a life. Okay, we could do that. The problem is that that requires you, and we'll get there in a moment, that requires, because you can save this life too. You just can't save it for as long. So that requires us to distinguish between which... which no, no, but you're right. But the, but the question of why, I'm just claiming that Lotamod is not an obstacle to doing it if the outcome is saving someone's life. Yeah, so he's going to get there. He's going to get okay. there. The problem is he's trying to explain the Ramah. Right? In order to explain the Ramah, he has to, right, he has, right, he has, right, the Ramah is not saving somebody else's life. Now you're going to ask me, why does he need to explain the Ramah? Isn't, right, the answer is he needs to explain the Ramah because he's really interested in version A, which says that not only is this just a failure to save, but it's also not killing. Uh... Right? Because if you take approach B, then removal of a ventilator is still killing, so this isn't going to help you. Right. Right. So, right. So, but if you want to take, but if you want to claim that you're deriving it from the Ramah, then you have to be able to explain why you have to explain that it's not safe. Right. That it's not safe. You're, but you're right that um, right that in the end he may not need this for his result because it may. Right. Be if you're interested in the result, that result, then a lot of this is an unnecessary diversion. Um, yes. If you're interested in the result, it may let's see in the end whether this is necessary for the result. Okay, let's let's hold off the argument for now. you you may be right. I think there is a way in which it will be necessary, but let's um let's let's hold it off. Let's hold it off for the moment. Okay, so his first claim is that Losamo is doesn't apply when death is better for the patient. Therefore, he says, according to resolution A, um, resolution A is that removal of ventilator is never killing. Real ventilator is never killing, and there's no obligation to save such a patient. So it turns out you can remove a ventilator from a patient even if you won't save somebody else, according to Resolution A. 
right? This removal of ventilator for the good of the patient is perfectly right. This, you know, this is this solves all the end of life problems. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. However, he says, killing a gosis or someone whose death is imminent is simple murder. We that's a given. You can't kill the gosis, and right. In fact, you can even violate Shabbat to save the to save the gosis. Right. That's that's a bit, right. So that's a fundamental problem in the in the right in the Ramah. So the answer he has to say is that the Ramah, um, when the Ramah makes this halacha, it, right, the um, the Ramah, when the Ramah says that that halacha about killing a gosis only applies to a possibly or potentially conscious gosis. Otherwise, the Ramah wouldn't right um, wouldn't um, wouldn't 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 allow his position. Okay, fine. However, um, killing a trefa or someone who has an organ deficiency or a failure that would inevitably kill them within a year. Is not murder. Why isn't this a paradox? Okay, this is our this is a basic question, right? He said, how can you how can you say that killing a trefa is right is not murder when killing a ghostface is, is murder? So I'm just going to point out again that um, it's not a it's not really a paradox because killing a trefa is not murder, but it is shrikud damim, and it's just a technicality. Killing isn't okay. Rizalman Chemitrad is going to assume that killing a trefa. Is not is not a violation of killing in any way at all. It's just a violation of failure to save, right? So a trefa and a person whose death is better than life are in the exact same. Or, or sorry, a trefa is in a um, is is in the same position. A trefa is in, a, is in the the position of his patients, right? A trefa is somebody whom there's no prohibition against. Not the comparison's wrong at all. Either side, a trefa is for all we matter there is a trefa. For the for Zalman Nechemia, a goses it is a prohibition against killing, but a trefa there is no prohibition against killing them, even though a trefa has longer life expectancy than a goses, and he wants to know why this isn't a paradox. So his resolution is that the goses, and I'm not sure I was right about this. I'm going to cross this out for now. Sorry, this is the um, that's the failure of uh, that's the early prep something things turn out to be. I don't understand what I wrote myself well enough. Okay, let's, let's bracket that. I don't think it matters right now. So his problem right now is killing a gosis is murder. Killing a trefa is just failure to save. Even though a gosis' life expectancy, let's say, is 72 hours, and a trefa's life expectancy is a year. Why isn't this a paradox? His answer is, the gosis in Ramos' case is dying merely of old age, not of illness or injury. If they're dying imminently of injury or illness, they're trefa in addition to gosis. Right? So this is a huge kiddush. Right, he says that right. The resolution to the paradox is that many gosasim are both gosasim and trefos, but that there's a fundamental difference between dying as a result of some kind of identifiable physiological failure or dying of old age. Okay, and when the Ramah and the Ramah, the Ramah's case when he says that you can be Mesir Monea from a Gosses. He's talking about a Gosses who's dying of old age, not, uh, right, sorry. Um, but if you were dying imminently of injury or illness, then the person would be both a Trefa and a Gosses. Ah, so what does he have to say? His problem is, in the Ramah, the Ramah says you can fail to save them, but you can't kill them. Why not if they're a Trefa? They're, right, they're a Trefa, there should be no, if, if they are a Trefa, as Zaman Nechemi argues, if you're a trefa, then there's never a prohibition against killing you. So the only issue is failure to save. 
So in the Ramah's case, then you should be able to do whatever you want to kill them. Should nothing, right? You shouldn't be reduced to removing the woodchopper or removing the salt. So the answer is the Ramah is talking about a case about a gosis who is not a who is not a trefa. But the reality is that if somebody is both a trefa and a gosis, then right, then the only issue is going to be failure um, failure to save. Okay. Now this requires us to redefine trefa to include illnesses that have not already generated organ failure, um, right? Um, right, because the Zalman um, Chaim is only two categories, you die of old age or you die of anything else. That's a huge chiddush, because I thought Trefa meant somebody who, right, who has a very specific organ failure now. But according to Zalman Chaim, if you have, God forbid, some kind of cancer that will cause organ failure, uh, will cause organ failure in, um, in six months, but right now all you have is a growth somewhere, that isn't affecting anything, nonetheless, you're a trefa. Can I ask a quick question? Yeah. Um, it, the, the famous case where somebody jump, uh, somebody is falling out the window and then you shoot them, um, yeah. is, there, is there a resolution to that in halacha? Uh, I don't remember. I don't remember which, which way we, which way, um, that, that's dealing more with the question of multiple causes, whether we call you, whether, right, whether we call you a trefa or a gosses when, there's nothing about your body at all that's causing death. It's just the external circumstances, right? I think that's the third. I don't think, I don't think that matters for this. But if it is murder to shoot some, right? Then you're still speeding up their, their. <laughs> yeah, you're speeding up the death of a healthy person. So that's like, that's just like killing a right, like killing a ghost. Uh huh. But then if you're not chayav, then. Um... Yeah, it wouldn't be. Because, it wouldn't be you're not chayav because you're because because you're a trefa. It'd be you're not chayav because. Somebody else committed an action of murder, right? Or it's not right? there'd be technical ways out, I think. I don't think it's the same thing. Okay. Okay. So now says, this means that if you that anyone who is dying within, let's say, a year, right? Ravasher Weiss is going to argue that it's six months because we our our projections about death within a year are not reliable. But assuming you could you could know with um with sufficient certainty that somebody's going to die of some kind of physiological cause other than old age within a year, according to Rizal Menachemia, um, right, and, they're, and, right, and they meet our criteria of someone whose death is better than life, so Rizal Menachemia says, you can kill them. Right? Even if they have 11 months to live, you, can, and you don't have to remove something, you can actively kill them, you could shoot them. And it wouldn't violate anything, as long as it doesn't cause them pain. Because it's not murder to kill a trefa. It's not killing to kill a trefa, and they're a trefa, right? Okay, so you shouldn't fail to save them. All right, so the, so if if, de- if death is better than life, then there's right, then there's no um, right, then there's no reason that you um, that you can't that you can't kill them. You could, for example, shoot them to avoid their being tortured for sure. Okay, right. Again, I think this is false because killing a trefa is shvichut damim, but he doesn't. Okay, now he says, because that's version one, right? Is that killing? Thing, thing number one is that killing a trefa is never killing, and we have one way so far out of lotam al damreyecha, which is that if death is better than life, there's no lotam al damreyecha. Okay, then he says, and this is where we get to Dr. Shor's point: given a choice between lotamot for chayi and chayi olam, if you have two obligations to save, right, one is defined as chayi and that's going to be a challenge as to what's defined, what chayi is. He's going to define chayi and I'm going to leave that for now as chayesha means that you won't live longer than a trefa. 
And Chayolam means you will live longer than a trefa. So given a choice between somebody whose life expectancy is that of a trefa and someone whose life expectancy is, someone, is that of a non-trefa, you can choose your obligation to, you can choose to save the non-trefa over the trefa. Okay. Now certainly, a goses only has chayesha, so therefore you can choose to save a non-goses over a goses, so long as there's no murder. And then his chiddush is that a trefa also is only chayesha, and therefore you can choose to save a non-trefa over a trefa. Okay, so in the end we have our ways out, uh, we, have, we have ways out of killing and ways out of not saving. The ways out of not saving are, if death is better than life, it's not right, um, you have no obligation to save them. And if the life you're saving would only be chayesha, and the life, right, um, as opposed to the other life, which is chayolam, you can fail to save the chayesha if that will enable you to save the chayolam. Okay, those are the two ways out of lotam damrecha. There are two ways out of killing. One way out of killing is if you classify the victim as a trefa, so then there's never a prohibition against killing. And the other way is what he called version A in the run, which is that if what you're doing is simply um, removing something which is keep um, removing something um, which is preventing the person from dying, and you're, inst- instead of instead of removing something which is preventing a cause of death, then you are right. Then then it's not killing either, right? So in, so in, in circumstances where you have one of those two um, ways of ways out of of the prohibition against killing. And one of those two ways out of the prohibition against um, against, against not life saving, it turns out that you can um, that you can do whatever it takes. Um, okay, so let's figure it out what the result is. This is therefore we can remove a ventilator from a trefa, uh, right? In Kalvachomer, we can remove a, a, a right. I mean, trefa meaning somebody whose life expectancy is up to a year, but um, but the reason for the limited life expectancy is a specific physiological cause. So you can remove a ventilator from a trefa to save a non-trefa, right? So long as, right, in Kalvachomer, if the person's life expectancy is less than 72 hours, you can remove a ventilator to save, to save, to save somebody whose life expectancy is longer. Um, what he doesn't talk about is what happens if both patients have, have uh, life expectancy of less than a year, but one of them is longer than the other. He doesn't talk about that, but it makes sense. It, you can understand how it makes sense to say you can do it and it makes sense to say you cannot do it because now you have two uh, formerly equal obligations. I'm going to bracket that question. But you can remove a ventilator from a, a trefa, calvachomer, a gosei's trefa, in order to save a non-trefa, even if life is better for, than death for the trefa because, the reason, because right, as Dr. Shore said, we don't need that argument. Right? It's, it's enough to say that one obligation to save a life um, overcomes another. And certainly, if death is, if death is better than life, and even if death will ensue, sorry for the typo, even if death will ensue immediately. Okay, why? Because, right, um, because if, since, since a trefa can't be killed halakhically, a trefa is already dead for the purposes of the prohibition against killing, so therefore, you can, right, therefore, you can, right, therefore, um, even, even if the person, the trefa on the ventilator will die immediately, and that would, for a healthy person, be called murder, Tough. That's fine. Okay, so that's his first radical claim. Right? As long as you define the person on the ventilator as a trefa, then 
even if they'll die immediately, you can remove the ventilator from them and give it to a patient who has a better, op a better alternative. Okay, furthermore, he says, according to resolution A, you can remove a ventilator from a gosis to save a non-gosis, even if this gosis isn't the trefa, right? So you have somebody who is dying, right? Somebody who's dying imminently. Let's see if I got this right. Okay, so you're, you have somebody who's dying imminently. And you have somebody who's not, right? Somebody who's not dying imminently. Um, so that, right, he says, you can remove the ventilator as long as death doesn't ensue immediately, uh, right? Why? Because you're just dealing with two different obligations, um, uh, two different obligations to save. So the question is, should this be even more radical? It should be, you should remove a ventilator. I think it should be. You can remove a ventilator from a trefa, even a non-gosase trefa. I think I got it backwards, right? Let's see, right? Tell me if I'm right. Because he says that since a trefa, right? So, right, yeah, I think this is right, right? Since a trefa is always defined as you can't kill them, so the issue is always only obligation to save. And once it's obligation to save, right? So the only issue is that the only issue is that, you, that if death ensues immediately, it is um, no. So long as death does not ensue immediately, so that's not true. Uh, so let's see it again, right? So it should be, you can remove, so it can't be, so you can remove death even from a gosis, even from a non trefagosis, right? That, that has to be it, right? No, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, right? let's play it out. He's defined a tre the way he's defined a trefa, every gosis is a trefa. Well, no, if you're dying of old age, you're not a trefa. But everyone who's dying of even of what we wouldn't, what I wouldn't call a trefa, he doesn't have any of the yes. punctures in the organs that define a trefa. Yeah. Right. Then, but if he's defining it just in terms of life expectancy based on any cause, then yeah. a gosase has life expectancy of less than three days. Yeah. So I'm trying to figure out what, so I'm trying to figure out which is what. So according to resolution A, so it's going to turn to according to resolution A. Let's see, the result we have to get is that according to resolution A, he's going to claim that you can, um, you can remove the ventilator from the woman, um, even if she's not a trefa, right? Even if she's not a trefa, so long as you don't kill her immediately, right? So you can remove... You can remove you can remove the ventilator from a ghost says, even a non trefa at it right yeah even you can right you can remove the ventilator from a ghost says, even if she's not a trefa to save a non ghost says, because removing a ventilator is not killing so long as death doesn't ensue immediately right so he says according to version A there's never a prohibition of killing as long as it's not immediate and as long as there's not a prohibition as long as there's not a prohibition of, of um, and so therefore it's always just an obligation to save, and therefore, um, right, and therefore you can, therefore you can remove the ventilator from the ghosts, so long as they don't die immediately. Right? I think that that's the yeah, right. So, so let's 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 go back and put it together. According to he thinks everybody agrees that you can remove that you can that you can remove a ghostase a ventilator from a trefa always. Right? That's his given. So if you define the woman. On the ventilator as a trefa, you accept his um, right. Then you then you can certainly remove the ventilator no matter what. But what happens if she's not a trefa? What happens if she's just dying of old age? So if she's just dying of old age. He says. Then if she'll die immediately, um, you can't do it because that's killing. But if she won't die immediately, 
then you're allowed to right, then you're allowed to choose a non-gosase over a gosase. Because removing a ventilator is not killing. Okay, however, he says, according to resolution B, where removal of a ventilator is killing, even if she doesn't die immediately, so then you can never remove a ventilator from a non-trephagosis. So, why don't we escalate my previous suggestion and say that you can do anything that isn't ritzicha in order to save a life. Okay, yeah. and then it's just... A, and that, and that means Ritzicha and not Shvichat Damim either. Right. So I don't think that's true because I think both well, the, language I, of the, the, the language of the Gemara and the proof text from, a, from the Rambam on abortion, and needs Rodev, demonstrate that you can't commit Shvichat Damim to save a life. Is someone who is dying of COVID, yeah. but for the ventilator, a non-trefa? Uh, if with the ventilator they could live for more than 11 months, 12 months, they're not a trefa. But it's conditional on getting the, the ventilator. Right. Before yeah. they got put on the ventilator, they were, they were, they, they actually, they, they were not dying of old age. Right. They Nobody is on a ventilator who's just dying of old age, whatever right. the hell that is. Exactly. Right. But, but I think that the trefa has to be an irreversible condition. Right. There's no such thing as I'd be a trefa if not for the ventilator. If with a ventilator you can live more than 12 months, you're not a trefa. So it depends on the level of medical technology. All of these definitions depend on the level of medical technology. That is correct. It will turn out. You have a humongous metastasis in your liver that's going to get you, and all of a sudden somebody comes up with a way to shrink this down to the size of a pea. Yeah. So right. Not a, not so, a trefa anymore. New technologies will revert, right, could reverse the condition of trefo, yes. No, I mean, the, the definition of trefo in terms of punctures to organs can be reversed medically many, in many cases. Like uh, almost always. Yeah. Well, that is our challenge now, right? So in terms of... I mean, so the, the definitions don't make any sense if you're talking in terms of irreversible. If, they, if You have to pick your definition. Well, so he's, I think he's distinguishing sharply between the definition by animals and the definition by human beings. By animals, we don't require reversibility. By animals, we've just basically... We've Correct, it's, it's just right. But by human beings, we have... A, the definition is result, and is, the definition is irreversible result. Uh, right? People have other kind of cases. What happens if you... Right? It's easy to talk about technology existing. What happens if you're stuck on a desert island and the technology exists, but you have no access to it? Right? What happens if you live in an impoverished country and there's no realistic way in which you could get the medical care you need, um, right? Right what, right? what happens if there isn't enough penicillin and you know that you're too, right, or whatever it may be, or there aren't enough ventilators, right? You could live this way, but you know that there's no conceivable way that you'll get high enough on the on on the list on the list for an organ, right? right? There's no conceivable way that you'll get that you'll get high enough on the transplant list to live, but you could, right? So those are all questions about the definition of trefa. They're all good questions. They're all good questions. Um, they're all ones that suggest that we cannot decide if anyone is a trefa. Yeah. We could, right? We could do that because we don't know. Because tomorrow, right? Tomorrow, the whole thing, right? Medical technology may improve. There'll be more penicillin. I mean, we don't, you know, it's you could never. Yeah. All good yeah. challenges to the application of trefa. I agree with you. They don't bother us. Yeah. 
Peter academic because in the toilet there was no distinction and she said you shall not kill. So, you know, these are all made up of classifications. Well, I don't know. You know, the halacha thinks they exist. So, you know, I, I can't work without them in halacha. Uh, right? These are all, there's all halachic precedents for that. Um, but I do want to point out again the stakes, right? That um, the stakes of saying that shvichut damim is yehareg yavor is non-Jews. Mm-hmm. Killing non-Jews is shvichut damim, not resicha. Right, that's why I'm extremely resistant to that idea. I think with, with, with more than sufficient evidence. But that's you know, but but I wanna be clear that that's the moral you don't really I don't think you really want to make that argument because the moral stakes are enormous. Um okay, so in Rizalmanachemi now, right? So version one he says is that you can uh, right if you define the patient with the ventilator as a trefa, then you can always remove the ventilator to save another patient. If you don't define them as, as a trefa, but you do define them as a goses, then you can remove them from the ventilator so long as it doesn't kill them immediately. Okay, and finally he says, no matter which operate, um, right, that, that was, um, he says, um, but that's only according to version, resolution A. According to resolution B, you can never remove ventilators at all, so it makes a big difference whether you buy his resolution A or his resolution B. Then he says, but either way, you can choose not to restart a paused ventilator for a patient from death is better than life, especially if you need the ventilator for different patients. You don't have to go on saving somebody. You can stop, um, right? And then he says, furthermore, right, this is a, um, this is, I think, another condition is we can choose not to restart a paused ventilator for a patient whose medical life expectancy is less than a year, right? Meaning if they're a trefa, even if we need the ventilator, right, if we need the ventilator for a patient with greater life expectancy. Okay, so there are two different, there are, let's, let's sum it all up again, because he has like four different rules. Rule number one is, if the patient is a, uh, if the patient is a trefa, then you can always, um, if, the patient, if the patient is a trefa, then you can, um, uh, then, you, then you can always remove the ventilator to save a non-trefa. If the patient is a goses, then according to resolution A, you can remove it if death doesn't um, ensue immediately, but according to resolution B, you can't. According to both A and B, if a, if a patient's death is better than life, um, then you can um, fail to restart a ventilator. And um, similarly, you can choose not to restart a ventilator for a patient who is a, um, for a, patient who is, um, who is a trefa in order to uh, in order to save a patient who is a um, who is a non-trefa, right? So even if you don't buy the argument about um, being able to remove the ventilator, certainly you can um, certainly you can you can fail to restart it. And and the fact that they're saving someone who is a gosase, there's that intermediate step makes no difference as long as ultimately the person you're saving is. is yeah, uh, he doesn't think that matters. Okay, he doesn't think that matters, right? That's just a Philip put in. Because, right, so you can throw in the thing about men and women. I think that's really the only reason that exists. Um, okay, so we're leaving some culprit, right? I see that we're, we're at the one o'clock point, but I want to at least feel that we did something new today. So we're leaving some culprit uh, critiques this as follows. He says, hang on, you're claiming, according to version A, that starving somebody, that starving somebody isn't considered killing, but the realm says explicitly that it is. 
You tie your friend up and you leave him to starve. It's not Ritzicha, but he's considered a murderer, right? Because it's a violation of Shvichut Damim. So, Rabbi Halperin says, I don't understand what you're talking about. Your first, your first interpretation is just flatly wrong. And he has an interesting analogy. He says, the Ramam says, it makes no difference, right, if you kill somebody by asphyxiation. If you do it by strangling them, or if you do it by filling the house with smoke, or if you do it by building the Ramadan, by building a house around them, which is airless. Either way, right? What does it matter? What does it matter? It doesn't matter. Right? It might matter whether we kill you or not, but there's no question, right? But there's no question all those cases are murderous. So Rabbi Halperin thinks that this is just wrong, and there's absolutely no basis or possibility for the distinction in um, version A. And um, first level, you know, what has to say, yeah, I think he's right. Okay. Uh, that's talking about that's if you that's if you tie the friend up. But if if you don't tie if you don't tie them up, then maybe that's not. Uh, you don't tie them up. You just burn their food. Tying uh, them up so they can't get to the food is murder, but burning their food is not. Oh, because maybe they can still get food somewhere else. If you burn well, no, their but, food. Yeah, does, but he doesn't mention the possibility that they could, right? You know, that they could get food, right? He just says, Rizal frames it as you're not killing them, you're just allowing them to die, right? Because hunger is not a cause of death, right? That's his thing, right? You're not, your action is not, is not making a cause of death uh, come to be. Well, either hunger is a cause of death or it's not a cause of death, uh-huh. right? I, I have to say, okay, you're look, looking to get afterwards, I, I think it, it's. It's unbelievable to me, honestly, that this—I don't know—I was just astounded that this argument um, got any tra- that this argument got any traction. And really, it was published together with, you know, with extensive footnotes. You look at the article; Ray Halpern's footnotes are longer, and they're all critical footnotes are longer than the article. Right? Then he says, "Your distinction between right whether whether it's better to live or better than to die, and saying that depriving somebody of medicine and food is not murder." Or rather, just a violation of not saving. All right, he says, He thinks this is dangerous, slippery slope. Because according to this, we could say that a chronically ill person, um, right, who's, having, who's in great, right, who can't be healed, is in great pain, and therefore his, his death is better than life. According to version A, we should stop feeding such patients if they're in great pain. Um, right, and he says, let's go on. Maybe you're going to claim, right? This, you know, go to Avram's argument, right? What about if somebody who's born with, right, with very serious defects? We'll say that we should just let them, right? Let's just expose our deformed infants, right? If we think that their death is better than life. Okay, so he thinks that this is, um, right? He thinks that this is fundamentally wrong. Right? Fundamentally wrong, he says, right? In regards to these distinctions. We can object to these creative ideas. Where did he come with the idea to um, to do this? Um, right? And he says, it seems to me clearly that this is just wrong, and all the cases we're talking about are, in fact, considered and not just failure to save. But the biggest issue is he thinks that the whole notion of death better than life, as defined by Rav Zalman Nehemia, he thinks is gravely dangerous. Okay, we'll have to see if that's right or not. Okay, um, version, note, footnote 17, he says, you claim there's a distinction between dying immediately or not. I don't understand what the distinction is. Why should it, right? Why should it, why should it, why should it make a difference whether you die immediately or not? 
the, the categories of Shabbat are not relevant here. And he says, maybe you got this from the rule about if you strike your slave, so you're only liable if they die within two days. He says, that's a specific rule within the regulation of slavery. Right? It has nothing to do with the general rules of general rules, general rules of murder. And here again, I think that um, he's plainly right, although the, it's more arguable. He has his own interesting distinction where he says, maybe there's a difference between a mechanical lung and a ventilator. Right? He says that, right, and he has it, an interesting claim, he says, was anybody going to argue that if you're doing CPR on one patient, mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, or you're doing CPR, let's say CPR, CPR then was mouth-to-mouth, and then you, um, and you stop doing CPR on one patient, and you move to CPR on another, is anybody going to argue that you killed the patient? He says, no, nobody's going to argue you killed the patient. Obviously, you just stopped saving them. So he says that maybe there's a difference as to whether you view what is ha- as happening as something whether the instrument becomes part of the patient or doesn't become part of the patient. And maybe a, right, maybe a, um, maybe he says a, um, removing a, a, an artificial lung that compresses your heart, that's like, that's one kind of organ that, right, that's actually killing, but removing a ventilator is not because the ventilator is not actually um, becoming part of you to keep you alive. It's just providing some kind of external, uh, external force, right? So that's an interesting claim. I think he um, got it backwards. Did you get it backwards? Let's read inside. Yesh Ladun, we can judge whether reut melachtiot, right? Whether uh, mechanical lungs, domod lekotziv leiv, are they like pacemakers? Shalyadochai, right? So if you you live through a pacemaker, and so if you remove the pacemaker and the person dies, even if they die eventually, that pashtus is murder because like you removed one of their limbs or maybe instead it's like cpr right where cpr is not right cpr is not like that uh right so you think says maybe says we're thinking about whether mechanical lungs are more like cpr or more like a pacemaker is pacemaker removing a pacemaker is murder stopping cpr is not murder and right so i'm putting in the question maybe a ventilator Maybe even if you think an artificial lung is like a pacemaker, maybe a ventilator is more like CPR. Right. Uh, wh- why is disabling a pacemaker murder? Because uh, he thinks the pacemaker has become like Part of the body. a person's body. And so, t- right, so taking, turning off a pacemaker for him is like taking out their heart. Uh... It's not a psychratia. I mean, taking out the heart, I mean, disabling the pacemaker doesn't guarantee that he'll die, ever die. Okay, that's interesting, a challenge on a pacemaker, right, on pacemakers as to whether, right, whether, right, I don't want to debate pacemakers now, but you're right. It's an interesting challenge about how, about, you know, what exactly the effect of pacemakers are. And he may be making a false assumption about the effects of pacemakers. Okay, but what matters for our purposes mostly is he just denies the distinction between immediate and immediate and um, and subsequent death, and that gets rid of you know because he says right where he says everybody agrees that you could remove the ventilator if it won't kill you immediately because then it's certainly only uh, according to, according to version A it's only it's only a failure to save and he says no even according to right you know, if it's uh, if it's murder immediately, then it's murder after time. 
and he doesn't he doesn't understand the um, the distinction. Okay, right. Um, I should right point out by the way, this all this is really practical because Rabbi Jason Wiener at Cedar Sinai has advocated precisely Rav Zalman Nechemia's position on the basis of Rav Zalman Nechemia's position, which is that you should be able to remove respirators from patients in order to save patients with a better with a better prognosis, so long as they don't die immediately. Uh, right. So I don't, I don't want you to think that Rav Zalman Nechemia is a purely academic interest that has no right. This is, this is one of the proposals that is being made now. On exactly this logic. Okay, his next thing he says is, and he says, I don't understand, I don't understand your claim that you can kill a trefa to save somebody else. We saw that this was, that other people did, but he has a very interesting moral claim here. He says, as we explained in terms of the Me'iri above, what he says is, your, right, Razaman Nechemia built his, uh, all his arguments on the position that rejects the note of Yehuda and that says you're allowed to kill a trefa to save a shalem. Right, that's, that's the core of his argument. Um, so Rabbi Halpern claims, and this I'm not sure is right, but he claims that even the people who say you can kill a trefa to save a shalem, the case they're talking about is where brigands surround you. And they say, give us one of you, or we're going to kill all of you. So in that case, you're not killing the trefa, you're not killing the trefa as opposed to saving the trefa to save everybody else. You're, what you're doing is you're, a lot, right, you're being complicit in the death of the trefa as opposed to not being complicit in the death of the trefa. But the only outcomes are everyone dies or only the trefa dies. So Rabbi Halperin claims that even the people who say you can sacrifice the trefa for the sake of the shalem don't actually mean you can sac- tra- sacrifice the trefa's life. They just mean that you're allowed to be complicit in the trefa's death to save everybody else. That's a very interesting claim. That's always the case, though. Because you're, you're being complicit in allowing the virus to kill the person. I am being complicit. Yeah. But the thing is that in the case at in the case at bar, right, we're talking about where the the patient with the pa- the the trefa is not going to die in the short term, right? The ventilator is going to keep them alive. So I'm not merely being complicit; I am sacrificing their life for the sake of the other patient. What he's arguing is that the cases where people said you can choose the shalim over the trefa are only where in cases where that's not going to change the life expectancy of the trefa. All it's going to do is change your involvement in the death of the trefa. I don't, I don't, I think he's probably not right about that. Um, you can take a look at the Minchasinach yourself, but I think that's another, is it, right? everyone has their, everyone has their moral qualms. That's right. That's what I want to, you know, and it's very what their moral intuitions are. I have my obvious moral qualms. You know, I'm not going to allow Halacha to, if I can, to make distinctions between Jews and non-Jews in this matter. Um, right. You know, and I'm, and I make make clear what my opening moral premise is. I want to I want to remove uh, I want you know, I want to be Kantian. I want, I want to remove the notion that you can distinguish between, among ontological uh, with the, among the ontological values of life. Um, and you can see that Rabbi Halpern has a bunch of Rabbi Zalman Nechemi has his own introduction, which is distinguishing dying immediately and not dying immediately, which is formally defensible, but it seems to me much more as a, a moral qualm. Rabbi Halpern has his own. Um, 
has his own places where he doesn't understand how these can be introduced. And this is an example, I think, where it's not at all clear to me that in the sources this is a uh, this is a plausible distinction. Uh, we'll see that some, later on somebody's going to make an even more explicitly moral distinction. Uh, we'll have to figure out if it's more if it's more or less defensible. It depends whether there's some kind of connection between the life of the shalem and the life of the trefa, or there's no kind of connection. If there's no connection, you can't do it. But if there's some kind of connection, you can do it. I don't know if that's going to hold up either. But where we are, okay? So Zalman Nechemia makes the argument, the only argument that I have seen um, so far made explicitly. Rabbi Wiener has a slightly different argument, but let's in in prior to, prior to the last two three months, let's say, and Rabbi Weiner hasn't formalized his argument in any in any halachic as opposed to utilitarian terms. Um, he makes the only argument which allows you to remove ventilators uh, from patients, even if it is not in the best interest of the patient to remove the ventilator. Right? The argument for it the argument for it is um, some combination of maybe the patient is a trefa and therefore there is never a pro, there is never a prohibition against there's never a violation of killing when you right when you do something that causes their death or alternatively removal of ventilators is not killing so long as death does not happen immediately and once you get rid of the prohibitions against killing um, he argues that you're allowed to prioritize um, life saving for longer term over shorter term but it's not defined purely quantitatively it's you're allowed to define to to Prioritize life saving of chay olam over chayei sha'ah, and the um, that he defines that as life expectancy longer than a trefa over life expectancy of a trefa. An additional characteristic is he also believes that there are that in cases where you could not apply that formal characteristic, let's say that both patients have only have life that's only only expected to be chayei sha'ah, but you're still allowed to remove a ventilator from a um, from from a patient whose death for whom death is better than life, so long as they won't die immediately, because that's also only a prohibition against life saving. Rabbi Halperin thinks that um, that many elements of this argument are um, insupportable. I think that many arguments, many elements of this argument are insupportable, but it's the only argument we have so far. So tomorrow we'll pick up Rashomo Zalman's um, response, and then um, next week we will hopefully rapidly, I guess. I'm hoping we'll finish next week. Uh, rapidly go through um, the responses of Rabbi Sternbuch, the Tzitzeliezer, and um, and Rabbi Menashe Klein. Uh, I think those are the ones that that will matter. And then, if all goes well, uh, in the last year, which will either which will either be late next week or the beginning of the week after, I'll try and propose my own thesis, my own thesis, and we'll see if you uh, if you think it's supportable at all. All right. Are there any questions? Understandable, if not today, because uh, right, because we were uh, we were pretty heavy and, and 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 also pretty much reviewing. So I will look forward to seeing everybody tomorrow. I hope. Okay, shkoyach. Bechinter.